That's the win. But some of the irritants that we discussed a year ago remain unresolved. I'm thinking pipelines, whether it's line five or is that Keystone 2.0 on the table? We saw that, you know, depending on what political party you're on, they used Alberta as a bat against their opponents. Welcome to Canusa Street, a podcast at the intersection of the issues and policies between Canada and the United States. Here are your hosts, Scotty Greenwood and Chris Sands. Welcome back to Canusa Street, everybody. I am Scotty Greenwood with the Canadian American Business Council, and I'm joined for our one-year anniversary by my partner and collaborator and the smartest guy on Canada-US there is, Chris Sands from the Woodrow Wilson Center. Hey, Chris. Hi, Scotty. You've, You've oversold me once again, but thank you very much. It's been a wonderful year so far co-hosting with you. It's been a great year. Happy anniversary. Happy anniversary. Yeah, this is great. And you know, you know who joined us in our very first episode when we were um, kind of the test pilot, if you will, is Richard Madden. Uh, he's the Washington Bureau correspondent for CTV News He in here in Washington, big Canadian uh, TV station. And he's a wonderful guy, a smart guy. And uh, I don't know, Richard, how we tricked you into joining us here exactly one year later to the day. But thank you so much for coming. Oh, my pleasure and happy anniversary. Thank you. Thank you. So, you know what? I went back, Chris, I don't know if you did this, but I went back and listened to to our very first episode. And Zavi, our producer, and I were just talking about, um, we've gotten better (laughs) over the last year. (laughs) It was a, uh, but 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 it was great for Richard to join us, and it's great, Richard. I hope you'll join us uh, this time every year. Actually, oh, I'd love to. Amazing. Absolutely. So I I want to say, and and Chris will introduce you again properly for our listeners um, in just a minute. But I just want to say, Richard, that you suggested several topics to us in that first episode, and um, we're two for four. So you suggested that we cover energy. We've done that quite a bit. You said that would be really important. You were right, of course. Um, you suggested that we really take a look at some regional issues, the Canada-US relationship through a regional lens, and I'm very excited. We haven't debuted them yet, but but the Canusa Street team was just in Calgary, and we've got a whole Pacific Northwest series for Canusa Street. Yeah. So we're going to keep that. You suggested we do an episode on the differences between the U.S. constitutional system and the Canadian parliamentarian system. That's on our to-do list uh, for for year two. So we haven't lost it. And then the other thing is you said we should do a series on you. And I mean, that's a great idea. (laughs) I feel I feel like we're doing that now. So uh, this this will begin the series on you. But we'll talk about we'll talk about what's happened in the last year in Canada U.S. relations. And you know the other thing you flagged, Richard, is um, the importance of Joe Manchin. And amazingly, today, as we record this in July of 2022, there's a big announcement about policy having to do uh, with a deal that was brokered by Joe Manchin with a big impact on Canada. So maybe we'll talk about that too. But before we do all that, let me turn it over to Chris Sands to uh, remind our listeners about how awesome you are by introducing you properly. (laughs) Well, Richard, it's great to have you back. And for our listeners, Richard is the Washington Bureau correspondent for CTV News uh, here in Washington, D.C., and he's been here since 2016. uh, And day after day, he ends up getting positioned to the White House, uh, State Department, wherever news is happening. He's an accomplished journalist and a political scientist. Uh, He's covered dozens of political and economic 
summits around the world, uh, and he joined CTV News in January of 2010 as a parliamentary correspondent uh, for CTV's Ottawa Bureau before he moved to Washington. This may be why, Richard, you were suggesting we think about the differences between the two systems. You've, you've experienced them firsthand. Uh, Richard got his start in television with Global News in Winnipeg and then joined the CBC as its legislative reporter in 2000, working out of the Manitoba legislature. In 2005, uh, Madden returned to Ontario, joining City News as the station's political specialist, uh, frequently traveling between Toronto and Ottawa before joining CTV News. Now, in addition to all of that, you were born in Georgia, you moved to Canada as a child and have closely followed politics on both sides of the border. Uh, this is one of the reasons it's so great to have you back, Richard, because you're not just someone who covers, you're, you're a bit of a fan of the politics in Canada-U.S. relations, and that's why you're so insightful, but we are really glad that you you came back. Oh, thank you. Very kind words. No, this is a, it's, it, this is such an incredible experience covering Washington um, and uh, having the understanding of how Canada works and adapting the Washington story, I think, is, is challenging, but it's also so rewarding. Absolutely. And, you know, Richard, one of our uh, missions on Canusa Street is we talk to Canadians and Americans. And so coming up with a way to uh, dive into issues that is um, that is interesting enough for experts, but is also explains enough uh, for people that are not expert is is part of what we do. And I have to say, I think you do that really well, Richard. You're an, you're an expert here in Washington, and and every night on the news, and and sometimes in the morning on the news, you're you're kind of talking to Canadians about what in the world is going on here. So congratulations for being able to translate like that. I appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah. So so let's get into it. Um, as much as I would love to do just a year in review of this podcast, um, it's probably better for us to do a year in review on Canada-U.S. relations. Because when when we launched uh, with you, we, the Biden administration was still pretty new. And mm -hmm. the relationship with the president, the prime minister was still being evaluated. We talked about that in the first podcast. But a lot has happened um, in the world in the last year, but also in Canada-U.S. relations. So as you think about it, um, maybe maybe take us through the last year, some of the high points, what you think are the most important developments between Canada and the United States. Sure. I mean, I would have to dig back. Thinking back, what happened a year ago feels like 500 lifetimes ago. But we yeah. can start with, you know, the big news that just came out with a win for Canada uh, on expanding the EV tax credit to include both Canada vehicles made in Canada and the U.S. That was something, as you know, Scotty, the Canadians were pushing so hard to not be excluded from the tax credits. And between uh, Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer and, of course, Joe Manchin, always the Democratic wild card when it comes to legislation. They agreed on that. I, I think that's a big win for Canada. Uh, I can't remember. And, exactly. Yeah. And that was just last night. I mean, that that, yeah. that is that this is like breaking news that, that this that this deal in the United States Senate just occurred. So I agree. That's something that Canada has spent uh, a huge amount of political capital on over the last year, not just Canada, U.S. interest as well. Several of us were in the mix on that. And it makes sense because our automotive sector is so integrated that when you think about incentivizing electric vehicle production in North America, that you wouldn't advantage or disadvantage one country over the other. We do, after all, have a big new trade agreement. We ought to, we ought to lean into it a little bit, right? Yeah, absolutely. You know, but uh, you know that that's a win. But some of the irritants that we discussed a year ago remain unresolved. I'm thinking, you know, pipe pipelines, whether it's Line Five or is a Keystone 2.0 on the table. We saw the former premier or the current premier of Alberta. 
uh, soon to be ex-premier, appearing before the Senate Energy Committee uh, just recently. He was basically, you know, depending on what political party you're on, they used Alberta as a bat against their opponents. Um to, to score their own political points. So that put Canada, Canadian energy under the spotlight. Well, that's let's just, let me just jump in on that. You're exactly sure. you're exactly right. It was Canada Day at the Senate Energy Natural Resources Committee meeting. <laughs> and uh, the premier and I think that was largely, you know, at the premier's request. Uh, but the federal minister uh, came and other other interested parties came, the Canadian Electricity Association. They talked about critical minerals. So right. it's actually a really good and important uh exploration of how integrated we are on on clean energy, on fossil fuels, on transition to net zero, all of those things were discussed at Senate Energy Natural Resources. But that was right after, on the heels of, I should say, a trip that Senator Manchin took to the Alberta exactly. oil sands. And so he's been there. I I was just there a couple of days ago. Uh, just yesterday, the U.S. Ambassador David Cohen, his counterpart Kirsten Hillman, both went to the oil sands over the last, uh, you know, for the first time in their in their lives, actually, also. So I think w- the Pathways to Net Zero Alliance has come to Washington. That's, of course, the Canadian oil sands. So a lot is happening on that. And and I think a lot the the reason for the action um, we would have to say is attention on the energy sector driven by Russia weaponizing it in the war with Ukraine. Do you, do you agree that that's what's prompted the new interest? Yeah, I absolutely 100% agree. And and Joe Manchin said that himself even before he went up to visit the oil sands. Um, he talked about the need for North American energy uh, independence, and he flagged that, you know, we should look at importing or create partnerships with our neighbors. So I, I think Manchin's trip there really helped shine that spotlight on Canadian energy. And it was a big day. It was a big day for the industry here in the U.S. on Capitol Hill. That's right. You know, the other thing happening, Chris, I promise I'll let you get a word in edgewise, but just since we're on a roll, Richard and I are riffing here. But the other thing that happened in the last year that is fairly large um, has to do with the border. And, you know, when we got together a year ago, the border was effectively still closed. Uh, to discretionary travel, there has been there was a trucker blockade that is pretty famous in Canada, but and got our interest when it blockade. You know, truckers occupying Ottawa is one thing. Uh, right. You know, a blockade of the Detroit Windsor Bridge and Coot Sweetgrass Crossing in Montana that that's another thing. And so that happened, uh, and now and now we have a border that is uh, open to discretionary travel, but is you know there are some hiccups. You've got the Arrive Can app that that is. A question. You've got a backlog of Nexus, which is the trusted traveler applications with the Canadian government not opening enrollment facilities. So talk to us a little bit about the border. Yeah. All that. Well, on top of those irritants, I mean, there's still pressure by not only Chuck Schumer, uh, but by New York, a lot of New York members of the House who are uh, upset that Canada still puts that foreign tax on vacation properties in Canada. And a lot of Americans own cottages or properties on the Canadian side of the Great Lakes. Uh, or the Thousand Islands. So that's another issue that I'm following closely to see if the, if the Canadian government uh, backs off that at the request of a lot of these uh, American politicians. You talked about the Arrive Can app that's causing, uh, you know, that's causing some frustrations, not just with American travelers, but Canadian too, and the glitches in the app itself. Uh, but the border can be both, uh, you know, a physical border, uh, but there's also the irritants on a policy level. Uh, we we mentioned it earlier, just about the the protectionism um, that still exists, um, whether it's lumber, whether it's uh, 
steel. Um, those issues have not gone away as well, those cross-border irritants. Yeah, they haven't. And, you know, we we did three, not one, not two, but three podcast episodes on softwood lumber. And we'll, we'll do as many as we need to. We had former yes. uh, Senate Majority Leader Trent Lott talking about lumber. But, you know, Chris, maybe we ought to invite former Congressman John LaFalse, who is from upstate New York. True. He's the original founder of the Northern Border Caucus. And I thought of this just listening to Richard because he owns property in Crystal Lake, uh, Ontario, on the other side of the bridge. And before he was bending my ear about opening the border, but I bet you he's concerned about this tax. So Chris, maybe we should invite him. I think that would be a great idea. He is, uh, he's a terrific person and was a, was a great congressman representing North, uh, sort of Western New York, um, has a great set of stories to tell. Absolutely. So over to you, I've, I've kind of monopolized our guest's time and, and I would love to do that further, but then I'd feel guilty. So you're too polite to jump in. I'm just going to hand <laughs> hand it right over to you, Chris. And I should just add, uh, Chris and, and uh, Scotty, another con- the current congressman, uh, Brian Higgins, who represents upstate New York near Buffalo, he's been very vocal on this tax as well. So he might be a good guest. We've had, well, and it's a great idea. Uh, we've had Congressman Higgins on this podcast uh, talking about the border and we will absolutely have him back. Uh, he is he is a tireless advocate for the integration of Canada and the United States. He's not alone. And by the way, it's not um, a partisan issue up on the northern border. You know, you do, Higgins is a Democrat. Susan Delbeni from Washington, a Democrat, very vocal on these issues. But Republicans as well, whether it's Tom Emmer or the other. So anyway, I think getting it right as between Canada and the United States, particularly on border policy, is a, is a place where at least American politicians kind of agree. Yeah. And add to that, Elise Stefanik, Republican from New York, has been very vocal against uh, the, the slow trickle of dairy imports under the new USMCA into Canada. Uh, so there's there's plenty of cross-border irritants that haven't been resolved. I mean, we can even talk about sort of immigration protectionism. Uh, a lot of Canadian companies are frustrated by these barriers for skilled workers to go south. I can just feel Zavi Delgado, our producer, taking fast and furious notes. You're giving us amazing ideas for content. Uh, we, well, my fee is 10%. <laughs> Amazing. Well, well, that's great, because so far, this is a labor of love. You, I don't know if our listeners have noticed, but there are no sponsors of Canusa Street by design in the first year, because we wanted to see if we could get it right. That might not last forever. But yeah, you can you can get 100% of that if you want, Richard. Richard, you will definitely get 100% of our love. So don't worry about that. We, we are always have to do that. I want to ask you a little bit about about kind of some of the issues that the Canadian side looked down, uh, looked at the US for. And the one that comes to mind, first of all, that we we really were hadn't resolved last last year when we talked to you was the situation of Meng Wanzhou and the two Michaels being in China. And it it took a while before that resolved itself. Um, how do you think? Uh, how do you think we are doing in terms of foreign policy coordination now that there's so much great power competition around the world? Do you see the U.S. and Canada working together well, or or is there still more to do? Well, I mean, look, I, I, I compare it to the the previous administration here in the U.S. that was generally adversarial, and you can argue oftentimes needlessly adversarial. I think now. Generally speaking, uh, values align, have a, uh, have realigned between Canada and the U.S., uh, whether it's Ukraine, whether it's uh, on Russia, whether it's suspicions of China. Generally speaking, the, uh, these values have aligned between the two countries. Of course, there will always be irritants. Uh, we, we cited a bunch of them. But uh, I, I think uh, you have you have a president who's 
more receptive to what the Canadians have to say. And as a matter of fact, at the Summit of the Americas, President Biden indicated he will travel to Canada this fall. Whether that happens is is another another question. Well, there are, there are always a lot of issues on those trips, but I think you're right in terms, especially in terms of Ukraine, and I should have brought that up. There's been a great alignment. But let me let me also ask you a little bit about something that connects to Ukraine, which is defense spending. I, I think you've covered uh, not only the Canadian military, I know you did some service in Afghanistan and looking at mental health issues with the, with the veterans there, but um, the U.S. consistently says Canada needs to spend more on defense. Canada is spending a bit more. How do you see that sort of relationship in terms of NORAD, NATO, Canada's defense spending playing out uh, this, at this point in the Biden-Trudeau relationship? Well, it is true. Canada isn't spending its NATO, uh, the NATO request of, I believe it's 3% of GDP on, on defense spending. Canada doesn't, uh, isn't hitting that, but a lot of uh, NATO members aren't hitting that. Um, I think in the past few years that there was always a sense that if something ever happened to Canada, that the U.S. would have their back. And I think in the last several years, uh, Canadian mandarins or whatever you want to call them, the, the high officials would uh, have kind of thought that, well, maybe maybe we do need to step up. Maybe the Americans won't have our back like we thought we assumed they would. So uh, overall, though, the Canadian and U.S. military align quite well. And, and I, I think back to a few years ago, we were embedded on a Canadian warship um, patrolling the Black Sea during the last round of Russian aggression. And the the American military members that we met had a tremendous amount of respect for the Canadians. And, and I think that that continues to this day. Excellent, though that's, uh, that, that's good. It is definitely one of the perennial issues that we come up with. I wanna ask you about another issue that, uh, and you've been covering covering this on the margins, our USMCA agreement. Now, we've we've seen two years of being in this. I know it's uh, Kuzma in Canada. Um, the administration is, is offering sort of uh, to work around customs facilitation deals, but this is an administration without trade negotiating authority. Canada, Mexico, they took a licking and kept on ticking, and we got an agreement. How do you see that trade agreement uh, with a couple of years of experience being seen, and how is it helping or hurting in the Canada-U.S. relationship? Well, I think the USTR just recently, I haven't followed up as close as I should, uh, but the USTR just issued a statement um, concerned about labor standards in Mexico. Uh, so there's a, there's a problem there. Um, but, you know, there's still concerns from the American side about the agreement on dairy. Uh, you know, Canada agreed to open up the dairy market and they still haven't really done it. And so the U.S. is taking shots at them for that. But um, overall, the uh, the trade representative was just in Canada recently meeting with the Canadian trade minister. They appear to have a, a pretty close relationship. Um, so a year and a bit in, is it is it a year now, USMCA? Two. A little two, over a year? Two years. Two, now. two yeah. years, so, yeah. Wow, yeah. time flies, yeah. Time um, flies. You know, there are still, there are still uh, problems with it. There are still irritants, uh, as to be expected. But, uh, you know, I'm keeping my eye on what happens with dairy and the resistance by the Canadians um, to implement that. So that was, as you know, uh, Dairy was was a significant barrier during uh, the negotiations, and I remember when they when the deal was signed. Former President Trump was at the Rose Garden. He had a press conference, and I asked him specifically, "Was dairy the deal breaker for NAFTA?" And he said yes. So the fact that this has still 
remains unresolved. It's quite telling. Well, isn't it isn't it just kind of we're at a truce on dairy? I mean, there there are some things that are going back and forth, uh, as Chris says at the margins. But I don't think dairy is ever going to be quote unquote resolved to either side's satisfaction, right? Because yes. can, Canada yes. Canada believes strongly in its supply management. Yes, system. Exactly. The U.S. believes strongly in free market. I just think that's one of those things that we're going to agree to disagree. We're gonna we're gonna fight over tariff rate quotas from time to yeah. time. You know, Richard, you mentioned though. Just, that, just to pick up on, it's just like yeah. softwood. It's just like the softwood lumber issue. You guys talked. You mentioned you you discussed this on your show. I mean, softwood lumber is the irritant that keeps resurfacing. Well, yeah, it's the gift that keeps on giving for for trade lawyers. Chris and I had uh, Ambassador Raymond. Yeah, we had Ambassador Raymond Cretan on, uh, former Canadian ambassador to the U.S., a wonderful, um, a wonderful, skilled diplomat and lawyer, and he advises Quebec on lumber. And the thing that he observed in our conversation was that the Canadian side didn't actually have its ducks in a, in, in alignment yet to negotiate, right? Be, British Columbia and Quebec and Ontario don't all necessarily agree. So until Canada has a unified position, uh, I think it's unlikely to get solved. Although we have seen uh, Minister Mary Ng, the Canadian trade minister, saying to the U.S., look, price of price of housing is high enough. Inflation is nuts. Maybe it makes sense to bring down the cost by uh, by changing mm-hmm. our our trade with Canada, but you, just because you mentioned Ambassador Catherine Tai, the U.S. Trade Representative's trip to Canada, and their relationship, I, you know, I was lucky enough that that was the first uh, Biden cabinet member to go to Canada, uh, and I was lucky enough to to be invited by U.S. Ambassador Cohen uh, and Minister Marrying to a get together with Ambassador Tai. And your observation, Richard, I think is exactly right. The two trade principles in in US and Canada. So Ambassador Tai on the one hand, Minister Ng on the other, do have a personal rapport uh, that is going to benefit, is already benefiting our country. So yes, we're going to duke it out on some issues, but those two leaders in particular uh, are going to solve things in good faith, I think. So I I feel good about that. And again, I've seen it firsthand, not only at that get together, but subsequently they spend some time um, together on the road together, including with their Mexican counterpart. Yeah. And, and, you know, I mean, the former trade rep, uh, Bob Lighthizer, uh, got along with Christopher Freeland as well. As a matter of fact, uh, during one of the rounds, he flew up to Toronto and he had dinner at Freeland's house. Uh, so, I mean, that was a good relationship as well, at least some, at times it was. Well, and I, I don't want to uh, I don't want to disagree because I, I, we do have this good feeling. But what was more striking for me was when Canada signed on to the U.S. complaint about Mexican labor valuation. And also now uh, the U.S. launched a USMCA complaint over Mexico's uh, intervention in the energy market. And Canada joined that as well. So there's a way in which USMCA is bringing Canada and the U.S. together uh, in ways that may help the agreement to work more effectively for all of us um, when Mexico is actually dragging its feet a little bit. Yeah, I haven't followed the the Mexican storyline as, as well as I should have, uh, but I, I I see your point. Well, Richard, that is absolutely a perfect segue for me to put a plug in here because Canusa Street is traveling to Mexico City this fall. We're going to be the a not one of the knowledge partners for something called the North Capital Forum, and it is a trilateral 
uh, get-together late in September of this year, 2022, where we talk about Canada, the United States, Mexico. Um, it's it's hosted by the U.S.-Mexico Foundation. And, you know, they, we, got, we got together with them and they said, and as they were planning it, they have phenomenal content. You should check it out. Maybe think about meeting us down there. But um, one of the things as they were planning it in the early days, they said, you know, we, we could use you know, our Mexico participation is amazing. Our U.S. participation is amazing, but we haven't quite gotten there yet on the Canadian side. And so since that conversation I had with them, Anne McClellan, the former Canadian deputy prime minister, uh, has agreed to co-chair that event. Uh, we've agreed to come down to be a knowledge partner. So I think there will be a, a vital U.S., Canada, Mexico conversation in September at that conference, and we're happy to participate. But then also, you've got the North American Leaders Summit coming up in Mexico City in December, right? So there's going to be a lot of trilateralism. And, and Richard, the thing that I'm thinking about, and, and maybe your viewers and certainly our listeners, I think are going to want to pay careful attention to is this trade agreement we've been talking about, the USMCA, has a provision in it for a review after six years. We're already two years onto that shot clock. So in, in four years, there is some chance that Mexico in particular says, you know what, I don't love this agreement. It's not working. You know, the current president of Mexico didn't negotiate the deal, uh, is getting challenges, as Chris mentioned, on the auto sector labor practices from the U.S. and Canada together. If Mexico feels like it's in their political interest to walk away from USMCA or trigger a review, I don't think politically the U.S. is ready for that. I agree with you. And remember, uh, when the USMCA was being uh, hammered out, when it was being negotiated, Obrador wasn't even in office. That's right. This is not his deal. He's no. not a fan of it. Exactly. Exactly. So, I, you know, it, the, the deal doesn't expire uh, in four years, but it does. there is a review that is triggered. Um, and I think people are going to need to pay careful attention. And again, in particular, the poli there's a window for politics in the U.S., and I think it's after this year's midterms and before the next presidential year, where a lot of us that are cheerleaders and advocates and beneficiaries of uh, this particular cutting-edge trade agreement need to remind our policymakers in the United States this is a good deal for the U.S. Uh, because if we don't build a base of support for it, uh, it's going to it's going to be another fight. And, I, you know, I mean, you covered it. We were all involved in it. When when President Trump said he was going to tear up NAFTA, that was like a near death experience for the Canadian economy. <laughs> you know, it was it was. Oh, yeah, I remember pretty rough. It well. So we don't, we don't want to go through that. You don't want to do too many near death experiences all in a row, I don't think. <laughs> now, R Richard, one of the things I also wanted to bring up, we talked about the, the news of the day on electric vehicles. But when we were talking a year ago, the real concern uh, about the auto industry in Ontario. Uh, it looked like, you know, some of the, the big plants, uh, GM's Oshawa complex and so on, there was this sense that maybe Canada wasn't that competitive in autos. And there's been such a full court press with the federal government and the government of Ontario that has really started in the last year showing some gains with big investments, particularly for electric vehicles uh, in Ontario and, and fully linking them in. I, I, how did you see that as a as an issue over the last year. Yeah, I, th I thought the, the Ontario government got quite aggressive to really sell their province to key stakeholders and key governments in various states. And I think we're starting to see things paying off somewhat. Uh, but there is concern, uh, you know, among some uh, some industry stakeholders here in the U.S. Who will, who will say just off the record that they do have their doubts whether Canada, um, whether the components, the the ingredients, if you will, 
that go into making electric uh, vehicles that Canada says they have plenty of, whether it's lithium or nickel, uh, whether they can get the permits and start digging up uh, these raw materials because they've seen problems with the energy sector and with, with the politics surrounding oil. Uh, so that that is sort of their concerns that, as I said, they, they will say off the record, but overall, on the broader scope, what you're what you're discussing, I I, I think that uh, Ontario has d- did a pretty decent job selling um, selling what they have to to the stakeholders that matter down here. You know that this is another one where you have no idea, Richard, but you just teed up perfectly another podcast we have uh, that is that is in the works. Our producers are editing it as as we speak. But you know the discussion about critical minerals. I had that discussion. Uh, with Ambassador Kirsten Hillman and Ambassador David Cohen uh, at the opening session uh, of the Pacific Northwest Economic Region uh, meeting just a few days ago. And we're bringing that, we're editing it now, and we're bringing that session to Canusa Street listeners. And I mention it here because we talked a lot about critical minerals and that, you know, yes, there is a regulatory question about um, can you get the mines uh, permitted, but there is a bigger question in my mind about the processing or processing for Canadians because 80% of the world's critical minerals and rares are currently processed in China. We are absolutely reliant on China for that particular capability. And that's got to change. Canada should become the world capital of not just mining it, but processing it. And uh, Ambassador Hillman, I will just say, had a lot of very specific insights on that particular point. So so you'll want to tune in uh, and hear what she had to say. Oh, absolutely. Well, and, and uh, just as a small point of privilege, I, I, I know it's good manners to give the points to the guest for teeing you up, but I am teeing him up and teeing you up. So I should get like half credit. <laughs> I will get, I'll, I'll allow that. <laughs> All right, we can share. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, listen, I, I'm really interested uh, I, I on, on this upcoming uh, summit you're hosting in Mexico City, because I, I do think that is so timely. And the, the focus that you're putting on it, I, I think, is really important. Well, good, Richard. Everybody should check it out. It's the North Capital Forum. That's what it's called. Uh, I don't think anybody's heard of it uh, who isn't involved in it yet. So I'm happy to ha- give them a little plug. And, I, and I'm really happy to to take Canusa Street on the road because, you know, we've been Canada-U.S. focused uh, and Mexico is such an important part of this North American equation that we're not going to uh, we're we're not going to only focus in northern North America. We're we're gonna we're gonna bring uh, the rest of the Americas into the equation. I think that's overdue. So, uh, Richard, if I can, one last question for you, and that is: I, I know you're always with your finger on the pulse of Canada-U.S. relations. You don't have to forecast uh, everything, but what what are you watching as we go into U.S. midterms and? kind of the end of 2022, what's on your radar that you you, you expect to be covering and that our listeners may want to keep an eye out for? Uh, in the medium term, post, uh, post midterms, where at least at this point in time, it looks like uh, Republicans will flip at least one chamber. I think they'll take the House, but uh, the, the Senate is an open question. I think the in the medium term, I, I think energy is going to be the the, one of the big issues coming out uh, of the midterms will, if the Republicans take the House, are we going to start seeing a push for, a, as I mentioned earlier, a Keystone 2.0? Will there be more of a push to uh, import Canadian energy? Um, 
that is something that uh, that I'll be watching very closely. And I think energy is going to be the dominant Canada-U.S. issue in the medium term. You know, I think uh, I think it's more likely that we'll see some sort of a North American energy alliance or a North American energy pact. We talked a lot about that in Calgary this week. I think you're going to hear more about that. I'm involved in that, I think, as people know, with with my work with uh, Province of Alberta and the Pathways Alliance and all of that. So one one last thing I'll just mention. I think I think you're right. Obviously, energy is important, but these elections. Uh, what's happening with them uh, is something that we talked to some policymakers and political leaders about. Um, and so coming up on Canusa Street and some of the episodes that that we're working on, uh, we talked to the lieutenant governor of Alaska, Kevin Meyer, but you know what? He's also the secretary of state. And so he presides over the elections and Alaska has a primary coming up, a mm-hmm. uh, distinguished congressman who passed away after many years. And, and people might remember Sarah Palin, uh, among many others, is running for that seat. So, so we talked. So isn't we somebody talk- named Santa Claus running? Yes. Yes, that's true. Santa Claus is on the ballot and Sarah Palin. I mean, you know, only in Alaska. But, you know, Chris and I also talked to the president pro tem of the Idaho Senate about democracy, about what's happening in Washington. Uh, we, we also talked to the lieutenant governor of the state of Washington, Denny Heck. You know, he spent years in Congress, uh, also in the Washington state legislature, and he talked about what it's like uh, to be, you know, in state government now versus federal government, What you know, what we're all seeing on the news. And on top of all of that, Richard, um, people kept asking me if I was Congresswoman Cheney. So I think I've got a <laughs> A new, no. a, a new path on Saturday Night Live Absolutely. if I want to do that. Yeah. So. <laughs> well, listen, thank you so much for joining us for our anniversary. We are sending you a virtual bottle of champagne. We'll send you a real one uh, if you're going to be around later this summer. And uh, we hope... We hope to join you uh, every year forever now. Um, and we would love your thoughts and input on what we're covering on Canusa Street, what we're missing. We've got one We've got one more of your original suggestion list to do, and that's the constitutional parliamentary differences. We'll do that because we've got some smart professors, including Chris Sands, that can help us. You know, one thing for an upcoming episode, uh, and, and I get this a lot when I speak to Canadians down here, um, understanding you just more than just the constitutional system you know a lot of people i speak with they don't understand the point of the electoral college or how that works uh the primary system in the u.s it, it, uh, there are those uh, who studied political science in canada but still don't really have the grasp on how primaries work and what an open primary is or a jungle primary so i mean that could be something to discuss uh, down the road as well and then likewise you know selling memberships for a leadership race, uh, which is happening currently uh, in Canada at the federal and provincial level, is are, are words that you don't hear American political staffers or uh, operatives utter. So I think we could do a little bit of both. Absolutely, yeah. And proof, Richard, that you are indeed a political scientist at heart to bring up these very important electoral issues. <laughs> yeah. You can kind of see you can kind of see Professor Sand's tail <laughs> wagging even even through the audio. I love the suggestions. <laughs> Well, happy birthday to us. Thank you, Richard. (laughs) Thanks for joining us, Richard. It's always amazing to have you. I appreciate uh, you inviting me on. I love talking to Richard Madden. I'm not going to lie. I am so grateful for his uh, willingness to to talk to us, for his willingness to be... um, 
you called him a crash test dummy, I think, <laughs> in, our, in our very first episode. <laughs> and I think he's a crash test smarty. Can I say that? Because oh, he's okay. uh, the, Fair enough. Yes. The dude, the dude has got a lot of uh, a lot of intellectual horsepower and, and analysis to add. And 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 so anyway, I'm really delighted that he joined us. And and I think we'll take him up on some of his ideas. Yeah, he has a, a wonderful catbird seat in the relationship in that he can watch the kinds of issues that are driving Washington and because he translates them for Canadians back home, he's got a really good perspective on what we don't understand about each other, what we find confounding about each other. And that's really where Canusa Street uh, it tries to be. So I think he's an invaluable partner. It was great to have him back for our birthday. It really was. And I'm just looking now, Chris, on Spotify and Apple to see how many episodes we have done. And I actually don't have the count in front of me. We've done a lot of but episodes. But we have done a lot of episodes. Maybe Zavi will jump in and tell us before we, before we wrap here. But, you know, over the last year, we've talked about 35 published. There you go. Uh, 35 episodes published, and we have several that are coming. So over the last year, we talked about some key issues of the day. Um, some of them are strictly Canada-US, and some of them are global, but with a bilateral lens. And so, mm -hmm. you know, one of our more powerful discussions was Putin will lose. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, all of these weeks and months later, the, the war rages on. Um, and so I think we're going to have to continue to talk about the NATO alliance, which is now expanding Canada's role in defense. So uh, so those are important issues. We, we also covered um, what's happening at the border. And there was a there was a crisis when when, as I mentioned, the truckers blockaded the border. But there's more to there, there's much more to discuss uh, on our Canada U.S. border. So so I, I think, you know, we started out this podcast as an experiment during covid and I think it's working. I'm getting good feedback. I hope you are. And I think we should keep doing it. What do you think? I think we should keep doing it, too. I get great feedback on this podcast. And I, and I remember, too, on the border, it's not just about problems. Remember, we talked about um, one of our early episodes was on the Ambassador Bridge and the Gordie Howe Bridge and how how Detroit and Windsor being connected. This is a project that's taken more than a decade and uh, officially supposed to open in 2024. But as maybe the biggest joint infrastructure project we'd ever, we've ever done, that was a, a, an issue that just kept resonating all year long. And we've really been lucky to have a few of those that just, those issues that stay with us where there's maybe a chance for us to go back, revisit some of those topics. Well, that's right. I think, you know, we started this project with an idea towards anybody who wanted to get a sense of what this big, huge, broad bilateral, bilateral relationship is all about, could could binge listen and and they'd get a tour de force through the big Canada US issues, both from a historical point of view, but also what's happening today. And and you know, I appreciate your perspective, Chris, because you, you're teaching about this relationship with your students and um and you've been studying it, researching it, um, and you've been a thought leader on Canada US for um longer than we've been doing this podcast. But <laughs> but I think I think you bring a, a really important perspective. I hope our I hope our listeners um learn something every once in a while from, from you. And uh Well, and I, I think I, I think if it was just uh my interesting research, we wouldn't have a great podcast either because you know the areas that I study, sometimes you get you get bogged down in the history, you start getting to technical details. Um, that are probably of interest mainly to academics. What I love about the partnership with you is you 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 have your finger to the pulse of the relationship. You're you're an active practitioner. You're talking to business leaders. You're talking to political leaders all the time, just as part of 
running the Canadian American Business Council. And so you get a sense, uh, maybe even before the issues hit the news, of the issues that are occupying the time and the concentration and the consternation of leaders. And that's really good. I think that's one of the reasons we've kept on point again and again. And when we do get a really big fish uh, as one of our guests, like Richard, you make the most of that because you've got a sense of not only what's going on and what what's causing trouble now, but what's coming around the corner. Well, thanks, my friend. I'm happy to be your color commentary partner for any issue, Canada, U.S. or others. But uh, I also just want to take one more point of privilege here and thank Zavi Delgado, Aaron Jones, the team at the Woodrow Wilson Center and the Canadian American Business Council who uh, help us because you and I are are uh, out front on this, but we have we have phenomenal colleagues uh, that that make it all happen. And and again, this was an experiment. Like everybody has a podcast these days. As somebody said, it's kind of like jury duty. <laughs> um, <laughs> But, but hopefully hopefully a little more fun and a little more interesting. Yes, and when maybe we're for our second birthday, we'll do like outtakes because where you really know how important it is to have the staff behind us, the number of times I've forgotten to push go on the recorder or we've had to edit out a whole thing because something went horribly wrong, I, we'd be lost without the support that we get from, from Zavi, from Aaron, from the whole team at, at CABC and at Wilson. So... Uh, I'm a little humbled by that, but I'm glad to have that support. Me too. And so our last plug of the day is if you like our podcast, uh, let us know. And uh, you'll hear that in, 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 in the outro for this podcast, but please do rate us and review us and please do suggest topics. And, uh, and we've been pitched by several people. Some of these episodes came to us by a listener who said, you know, we have something to say. Can you put our CEO on or can you put our, you know, communicator on? And if we find it interesting enough and if we think our listeners will, and if we think we can dis discuss it in a nonpartisan, you know, thoughtful kind of way, we're going to do that. So so bring us your pitches, I guess, is my last is my last word of wisdom for Canusa Street. Excellent. This is an open street. We are ready, ready for business. That's right. The walk sign is going, is flashing. Uh, the don't walk sign has been disabled. So come on, walk, run, jog, uh, and come on over to Canusa Street. And look look both ways, though. Those bike lanes can surprise you. <laughs> That's exactly right. <laughs> All right, we'll see you next time, my friend. All right, thanks very much, Scotty. This podcast is brought to you by the Canadian American Business Council and the Wilson Center. If you like this episode, help others find our show and give us a rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify.